Thank you for tuning into this episode of Think Back, Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis. This podcast is sponsored by Novartis U.S. Medical Affairs. The speakers have been compensated for their time. This program is intended for healthcare professionals. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Think Back, Insight into Axial Spondyloarthritis podcast. I'm Dr. Abhijit Danve. I'm academic rheumatologist at Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. I do clinical research and have a particular interest in spondyloarthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and gout. And I'm Dr. Neil Skolnick, an academic family physician who sees patients and teaches residents and medical students in the Family Medicine Residency Program at Abington Jefferson Health in Abington, Pennsylvania. In this episode of The Think Back, we will discuss key features of axial spondyloarthritis, or also called XPA, and describe how to recognize XPA among patients with chronic back pain and which patients to refer to rheumatology. We will discuss the existing referral strategies that can help in the decision making. Dr. Donvi, I have a few examples here to help guide our discussion. Throughout this episode, we'll decide which of these primary care patients should be referred to a rheumatologist, because that's really our goal in identifying XPA. Our first patient, Eric, is a 38-year-old dad with three kids. He's physically active. He often works out at the gym. He's been experiencing back pain now for the past six years, which he thinks is from an injury from one of his workouts. He wakes up at night due to his back pain. He also recently went to the eye doctor to get a red eye checked out. And in his family history, he reported that his mother has a history of Crohn's disease. Dr. Donvi, could you go over the key features of AXPA for our listeners? Primarily, this condition is characterized by inflammatory back pain. And that's the cardinal symptom of the condition uh, present in more than 90% of the patients. It's also one of the early symptoms of the condition. Some of the other features of axial spondyloarthritis include enthesitis, that's inflammation of the tendon insertions, dactylitis, peripheral inflammatory arthritis, extra-articular manifestations such as skin psoriasis, anterior uveitis, inflammatory bowel disease, having positive HLA-B27 gene, and family history of spondyloarthritis. But it is essential to know that the gold standard for diagnosis of this condition is clinician's judgment. And at this time, we do not have a specific biomarker for diagnosis of axial spondyloarthritis. Those are great points. And using judgment means that we really have to understand the disease. It strikes me that inflammatory back pain, understanding that it's inflammatory back pain, not mechanical, is the most important part of this diagnosis. Uh, but many patients that we see have back pain. In fact, low back pain is very common in the United States. Obviously, referring every one of these patients to a rheumatologist isn't feasible or helpful for them. Uh, what strategies can we use in primary care to select out the correct patients for referral? That is so true, Dr. Skolnick. Back pain is just so common in general population that it is, so, it is very important to distinguish between inflammatory back pain and mechanical back pain. The eye pain criteria are helpful tool that can be used to identify inflammatory back pain among the patients who have chronic back symptoms. 
So the eye pain is a mnemonic, I-P-A-I-N, where I stands for insidious onset, P is pain at night that typically improves upon getting up, A stands for age, that's onset of the symptoms earlier than 40 years. I is improvement with exercise. So the back pain improves with exercises and movements. And N is no improvement with the rest. Now, if a patient meets four of these five items, they are considered to have inflammatory back pain and they are the ones who should be referred to rheumatology for further evaluation to rule out axial spondyloarthritis. Those are great points. That's a really helpful mnemonic. If we think back on Eric, he meets two of the criteria for inflammatory back pain that you described, pain at night, which improves on getting up, and age at onset, earlier than age 40. The truth is our patients don't always give clear answers and they don't always remember all of the details. So it's important to really try and uh, take that careful history to get that information from them. And, and the reality is it's not always possible to diagnose using the eye pain criteria. That's absolutely true, Dr. Skolnik. Uh, if we start diagnosing conditions based on checking the boxes, it will really cause lots of overdiagnosis or misdiagnosis, I would say. And it's important to remember that you want to ask open-ended questions rather than asking specific questions about, did your back pain get better with activities? I would ask the patient, tell me more about your back pain and let him be forthcoming with the symptoms. And then you want to elicit more by prompting the patient's memory because sometimes they even don't think that some of the symptoms that they are experiencing are relevant to the condition that we are asking. For example, they may not, you know, connect their skin psoriasis and their back pain. So you want to really be broad when you elicit the spondyloarthritis feature history and the back pain history from the patients. Some other traits of the inflammatory back pain apart from the eye pain criteria are having morning stiffness that lasts for more than 30 minutes, good response to NSAIDs of the back pain and having alternating buttock pain. These are some other features of inflammatory back pain. Inflammatory back pain in short is not a diagnosis, it's a clinical construct. So you need to get thorough history to arrive at a judgment of inflammatory back pain rather than diagnosis of inflammatory back pain, I would say. Dr. Danvey, I, I love the way you said it isn't just a matter of checking off all the boxes, but really having a sense of the things that uh, constitute inflammatory back pain that, that you described. Uh, length, uh, the morning stiffness for 30 minutes or, or longer. Uh, suppose I have a patient who has chronic back pain and I think it's inflammatory, will acknowledge that I'm often not certain, but I think it is because it meets some of the criteria that you described. Is that enough in order to make an appropriate referral to rheumatology? And are there other questions or things that we ought to do in patients who are complaining of chronic back pain that would improve the referral process? Sure. So according to the Berlin referral strategy, patients who have chronic back pain 
for more than three months that began before age of 45 can be referred to rheumatology to rule out axial spondylar arthritis if they have either inflammatory back pain or positive HLA-B27 test or they have sacroiliitis on one of the existing imaging tests. So that's so helpful. So let's think about Eric for a moment. It's likely that his back pain was mechanical. Since that was the case and imaging and labs weren't available, he wouldn't get referred on by the Berlin criteria. But the Berlin criteria don't include many of the other act spa features we discussed earlier. Should we consider all of that when evaluating a patient and considering referral? Absolutely, Dr. Skolnick. The Berlin referral strategy is useful and one has to see only three patients with back pain using Berlin referral strategy to find one patient with axial spondyloarthritis, but at the same time, it is tight. ASAS, that's Axial Spondyloarthritis International Society, came up with their referral recommendations in 2015, and this is pretty broad. According to the ASAS referral recommendation, Anybody who has chronic back pain that began before age of 45 can be referred if they have inflammatory back pain or any of the other spondyloarthritis features that we discussed. Since Eric presented with red eye, that would have been acute anterior uveitis. And yes, Eric can be referred to rheumatology to rule out ankylosing spondylitis. That's so helpful. Let's talk about another patient, Ellie, who's a 25-year-old woman who's a recent college graduate. She's also a basketball player. She presented with complaints of lower back pain near the buttock region for over three months. The pain alternates between buttocks. It's worse when she's at rest and better with movement. The pain interferes with her activity. She was prescribed an NSAID in the past and experienced relief with that. Dr. Dianve, your thoughts about Ellie? Well, Ellie looks like has uh, chronic back pain, buttock pain, good response to NSAIDs. Yes, she seems like she's having inflammatory sounding back pain. The clinician should definitely ask other questions about inflammatory back pain and refer her to rheumatologist. So let's say the clinician's on the fence and he or she orders an HLA B27 and it comes back negative. Does that mean the patient should not be referred on? That's a great point. I have seen several patients who have fused sacroiliac joints and negative HLA-B27 test. So this test can be used as a helpful test. It's not a confirmatory test. It should not be used to you know, um, discourage or uh, negate any referral, I would say. And uh, it's important to know that this condition may present differently in men and women. Overall, women may more likely to have enthesitis, fatigue, diffuse spinal pain, which is not very typical of inflammatory back pain sometimes. And women uh, are more likely to have diagnostic delays because of frequent misdiagnosis or of fibromyalgia or anxiety or mechanical back pain. Now, the diagnostic delay hugely impacts quality of life, physical functioning, including employment and the work ability. Also, longer is the duration between symptom onset and diagnosis. More is the likelihood of worsening disease activity, radiographic progression, 
So Dr. Donvi, are there any issues with referrals that we should be aware of and what can we do to expedite the referral? Well, uh, one important consideration for clinicians is to specify the reason of referral on the paper form or in the electronic referral. Because what happens is the referrals are screened by either a nurse or administrative staff. And many practices, including large community practices, academic practices, they do not see patients with fibromyalgia or back pain only unless you specify on the referral that this patient is being referred to rule out axial spondyloarthritis, it may be difficult for that triaging person to know if this is suitable referral or not. So having a clearly stated reason for the referral as inflammatory back pain or rule out axial spondyloarthritis will be very helpful. That is great. So Dr. Donvi, we covered a lot of ground. What do you think are the key takeaway points for primary care clinicians to remember? So Dr. Skolnick, uh, clearly primary care providers are the frontline care providers for patients with back pain. And they have a critical role to play for identification of axial spondyloarthritis earlier and reduce the diagnostic delay. Patients who have features of axial spondyloarthritis such as inflammatory back pain and other spondyloarthritis features should be referred to rheumatology timely. Also, it's important to keep in mind about the gender differences in presentation of axial spondyloarthritis among men and women. And uh, <clears throat> it is important to know that if the patients are referred in timely, rheumatologists are adept picking up axial spondyloarthritis at early stage, and that's how we will be able to reduce the delays in diagnosis. Also, as I said, a specific reason for referral should be stated in the referral that's electronic or paper form. Well, Dr. Dimevi, thank you so much for going over things and the detail that you did. I know I've learned a lot. Again, thank you. It was a pleasure, Dr. Skolnick. Have a nice day. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode of Think Back Insights into Axial Spondyloarthritis podcast. The key thing is to remember, we see so much back pain in our practices that when we approach that patient with back pain, to keep inflammatory back pain in mind. And once we keep it in mind, we'll be able to use all of those hints that we heard about today in order to tease out and distinguish inflammatory from mechanical back pain. Other episodes of Think Back feature further information about AXPA, its symptoms, distinguishing mechanical and inflammatory back pain, sex differences, diagnosis, and diagnostic challenges. We look forward to you joining us for further episodes.